First John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 21 is what I'm going to be reading. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. We're probably not even going to cover this today. We're going to save that for another time. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also Love his brother. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together as a church. Thank you, Father, for these friends, uh, these brothers and sisters in your family. God, help us to love each other well. Help us, God, to uh, be intentional and to be relentless in our investing, in our giving, in our encouraging, in our comforting in pursuing relationships and friendships, in knowing people. God, help us to love them as Christ has loved us. Father, I pray that Woodward would see your character, that Woodward would see your glory by the way that we treat each other and by the way that we treat the world. Father, help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if it's one thing we've gotten from John, uh, that at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian is to love one another. John is absolutely relentless about this, okay? If you've been here in in our series, you know he has hit this again and again and again. We've actually skipped some of the times that we've focused on something else and not even hit all the times that he's already told us that, okay? Uh, At this point, when you get to chapter 4, it's almost a little bit awkward, isn't it? I mean, he's just again and again and again and again. I mean, there comes a point when someone reminds you of something over and over again that it gets a little bit uncomfortable. It gets a little awkward. Uh, I I tend to be a little bit um, maybe... uh, I don't know, compulsive about certain things, uh, especially like when we're packing for a trip. I will uh, often tell my wife, hey, did you remember this? You know, did you pack this or did you call this? And, and what I've learned about Emma is after the third time that I've mentioned it, it becomes not good. Like it becomes a strain between us. It becomes a, uh, 
a not uh, not helpful thing in our marriage. Like she's not real happy that I continue to bring this up. Uh, in fact, last night uh, she did, she probably doesn't even know this, but I I'd reminded her about something to bring to an event that we were going to, and and uh, I reminded her a couple times. But I, but I've come to know as a husband, okay, I was twice. That's enough. But I still felt like ah, is she going to remember this? You know. So I went downstairs and I told my son. I said, son, if mom's not carrying that deal out, you remind her, right? So you know, I'm like, I'm like okay, so you know, because I knew like one more time, that's it. You know, it's not going to be good. Okay. Well, John. John has no kind of filter there. I mean, he has no problem telling us over and over and over again, this is what it means, to, this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. you got to have this in you. If you don't have this in you, alarms ought to be going off, sirens, red flags, you know, blazing lights, you're in trouble, okay? If this love is not in you, there's a problem. You know, the cool thing about Christianity is it's for everybody. Isn't that a cool thing? It's for Jew and Gentile and Greek and Roman and Japanese and German and American and Thai and Indonesian and Arabian. It's for male and female, adults and children. Christians are for cowboys. Uh, Christianity is for the artist, for the hippie, the hipster, the professional, the blue-collar guy, the soccer mom. It's for the introvert, the extrovert, the talkative, the quiet, the thinker, the doer. Can tattooed people be Christians? Absolutely. Absolutely. Purple-haired pe- people be Christians? You bet. How about Mohawk Christians? Yes. How about rocker Christians? You bet. How about country-western Christians? No matter what, Michelle Dossel says, people that like country-western music can be Christians, all right? They can. Rednecks, Cajuns, they can all. I mean, the gospel is for everybody. But can you be an unloving Christian? Is there a category for that? What do you think? Is there a category for the mean Christian? All right? The bitter believer. The spiteful saint. The callous, indifferent Christian. There isn't. Isn't that what John's saying? I think that's what he's saying. Verse 8. I mean, how clearly, I mean, you can't interpret this any other way. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. You don't. Now, hold on. Are there people who claim to be Christians that are mean and bitter and spiteful and callous? And yes, yes, you know some, don't you? If you know very many people, you do. Is it attempted in real life? Yes. Okay, but theologically, there's a problem with that. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Now, is that saying that no Christian is ever has a mean moment or struggles with for a week with bitterness or well? Okay, okay, let's back up. Let's back up. John answers this already. First John 1 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. Okay, John, John is, has been clear about that. We aren't, we aren't perfected yet. It's coming, but we're not there yet. Okay, and so we all have sinned, but how does the believer handle it? He doesn't stay in it. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 3, 
Okay, he says, uh, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, but the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning. Okay, John's already cleared all that up. Okay, do we fall into a mean time? Yes. A bitter time? Yes. Okay, but Christians don't stay there. We repent. Okay, if, if that is in our life, the word of God hits us. Remember last week, the word of God hits us. We're, 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 we're the people in verse 6 who listen to the apostles, who listen to the word of God, who respond to the word of God, and we repent, we make things right, and we restore things, and we get back on track. Okay, that, that's the Christian life. Okay, but, but it's very clear here. John said, man, if you don't have the love of God inside of you coming out in practical, real, visible ways, then and you don't know him. Why? Why can John say that? Continue to read verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, okay, God is love. All right? So God defines love. Okay, whatever your definition is of love, it's wrong unless it is built upon how God has related to the world. How, how God has sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to, to meet your greatest need in the gospel. Okay, that, that is the definition of love. That is, that is how we know love. That's how we know what it is. Okay, and God, God's character, his nature has always been love. Okay, cool verse in John 17 about the Trinity. John 17, 24 says, Father, he got, Jesus is talking to God the Father. So God the Son is talking to God the, God the Father. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because, listen, you loved me before the foundation of the world. All right? Before there were any people, before there were any angels, before there were any beings, okay? There's, there's just the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God lives in a, in a relationship of love within the very Trinity. Okay? God has always been love. God, God, God's nature, His character is love. So if you know God, if you're walking with God in a relationship with Him, if you're connected to Him, I mean, here's John's thought pattern. If God is love and you're connected to God, then it's in you, right? What, what have we learned so far in, uh, in 1 John? Well, we've learned that God's Spirit is in us. That's, that was just a couple weeks ago in chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He, he in them. By this we know that He abides in us. By the Spirit whom He's given us, okay, the Spirit abides in us. Go up a little further in chapter 3, uh, the verse we just read, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in Him. Okay, so God's Spirit is in you. If you're a believer, if you've repented of your sins, you're born again, you're connected to Jesus Christ by faith, God's spirit is in you, God's nature, God's seed is is in you, okay? And and now today, John makes it very clear, God's love is in you. Verse 12, no no one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. His love in us, perfected, completed, lived out. Okay, so God's spirit's in us, God's seed's in us, God's love's in us. Okay, so how can... How can that not come out of you? That, that's John's point. If you're joined to Jesus, how can that not come out of you? Okay, if, if I've got a sponge up here, okay, and I spill a Dr. Pepper, okay, and, and, and I sponge up the Dr. Pepper, and then I wring out the sponge, what comes out of the sponge? What comes out of there? Sprite? No, Dr. Pepper, right? If, if I spill water and I, I sop up the water with a sponge and then I wring out the sponge, what comes out? Okay, what's in you as a believer? I mean, John's giving us this theological, you know, have to. Well, what is in you is what's going to come out of you. And God is love. 
And if you're joined to Christ, if you're joined to God, then you've got his love inside of you. Okay, Not only do you have it inside of you, but let's keep going here. Verse 9 in this, the love of God was made manifest. Okay, that's a tough word. Manifest means to reveal, to make known. Okay, so, so not only is it in us, okay, but it's also been shown to us. It's been revealed to us. It's been, it's been made clear to us, okay. How? How has how that happened? How has God clearly shown me what love is and his love? How has he done that? Well, keep reading. Verse 9. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In the gospel, if you're a Christian, you've you got to have the gospel. That's the only way you become a Christian, right? And so if you're a Christian, then, then, then the assumption it has to be that you have experienced and known and received and seen God's love because you saw it in the gospel. Okay, You saw it in that God has sent his only son into the world. God has made this so clear. He's given us these very clear pictures of what his love is. Okay, First of all, by, by, by giving us things to relate to. God is a father. Jesus is a son, okay? I am a father. Haddon is a son, okay? Many of you are mothers. You have sons. You have daughters. You have children. I mean, God's given us this metaphor that's crystal clear to us. We understand what he's saying, right? He's saying, here's how God has loved you. He sent his son into the world, okay? What, what does that mean? You know, if you know the gospel, you know what that means. That means the pain of losing a son is something that we can imagine. Maybe it hadn't happened to you, but you can imagine it right you, you can fathom it in your mind the sacrifice of giving your own son to be to be rejected okay that's what isaiah says isaiah 700 years before jesus came here's here's god speaking what's going to happen he was despised and rejected by men okay see a parent understands how, how how hard how difficult how much that hurts to have your kid rejected I mean, a mom's heart's literally ripped out when her children are rejected by, by peers or they don't get invited to a party or they don't make the team or they don't get a part in the play or they don't have any friends. You, you've seen that movie, American Sniper? I thought it was about soccer moms. I thought that's what it was about. No, I didn't really. But, you know, I mean, that's how deeply, though, moms and dads, they feel about that. Okay, well, here God gave his son to be rejected. You, you've seen that in the gospel. You know that metaphor. You understand that. That's how much God loved you. That's the length that God went to in order to redeem you was to send his own son to be rejected, to send his own son to be tortured, to send his own son to give up his life, to die on the cross. Okay, God is revealing his love in the clearest possible way, in things that we can understand. That's love. And so let me ask you today, how can you doubt the love of God when you know the gospel? How can you doubt the love of God when, 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 you, when you see clearly what God has done for you, the steps he has taken to come after you, even when you didn't want him, even when you were opposed to him, the length that God has taken to come after you, that, that, that what? Let's finish verse 9. Okay, verse 9 is all about the gospel. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, so what, what that means is that for a believer, every day you experience the love of God. Okay, every day you're not getting saved, but every day you're, you're in a position, you are living spiritually as a result of the love of God poured out on your life. Okay, he, Christ sent, God sent his son Jesus into the world to be tortured, to die our death, to live our life, to be raised again, that we might live in Christ, that we might live joined to Jesus. What do we sing often? One with himself, I cannot die. That's, that's the way we live today. One, one with Christ, we live with his Holy 
Holy Spirit inside of us. We live with his resurrection power. We live as a joint heir of Christ. We live with the hope of glory in Christ. We live as more than a conqueror through him who loved us. We live with God's favor, God's blessing as a beloved son in our lives. We live that right now. We experience the love of God daily as believers in our standing in Jesus Christ. You woke up this morning as a believer covered in His grace. You came to church riding in His mercy. You stand in His favor now because of the love of Jesus. And here's what John's saying. That's in you. It's been shown to you. You have seen that. And what that ought to do, verse 11, is produce an ought in you. Okay, look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, okay, John's saying, if this is true, and it is, and you know it, and it's in you, we also, and there's a, just a cool word, ought, O-U-G-H-T, ought. We ought to love one another. This is in you, and you've seen this in the gospel, then we ought to love one another. That word ought is a word that means to be indebted to, Obligated, I'm just reading you the Greek definition, okay? To be indebted to, obligated, to owe, to be under obligation to meet certain moral or social expectations. Okay? We understand that. Right? If uh, my birthday's coming up, so if my family gives me a gift, it's really nice, they worked hard on it, they thought about it, there's an ought, Right? I shouldn't just take that and be like, it's about time. Okay, there's, there's an ought. We all know it. I mean, you, you know it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's already there in you. You don't have to be taught that, even. You, you just, you don't have to remind yourself. Someone gave you a gift, and now there's a social obligation, expectation. It's even more than that. I mean, it's, it's you want to do it, right? I mean, someone gives you a gift, you, you thank them. It, it's just an ought. It's, it's because of this, this comes out of me, right? Someone has a medical emergency, okay? You have the skill and the equipment to help them. There's an ought, isn't there? I mean, don't you know that already? I mean, does the doctor just, lay, just sit there, you know, at the movies watching someone die? Saying, when are I going to put the movie back on? Go get me some popcorn, you know? I mean, is that, what kind of guy is that? No, 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 no. most everyone... Let me just say this. If there's not, okay, the guy has a heart attack in the movie theater and there's a doctor sitting, you know, one row from him and he just watches him die, you know? He's just like, wow, we came to the movies, we've got two shows, look at that, you know? Doesn't get up, doesn't say he's a doctor, doesn't try to help. What would you say about that guy? Something wrong, right? Something wrong. Someone's lost. I've, I've seen this over and over again. Someone's lost their, their, you got a couple and they're trying to figure out where's Fargo? Where's Fargo? They're, they're in McDonald's, you know? And you walk by, you're getting your McMuffin and, and, and they're in McDonald's they're like, oh, we have driven all over Northwest Oklahoma. You can't find Fargo, okay? Every one of you would, would well, there's a few that don't know where Fargo is in here. I know, I know that. But 90% of you, you would, you would stop. You don't know them, but you would stop and say, hey, just keep going, you know? Oklahoma, everybody go past the terror plant, past the terror world, keep going, you know. You'll get just on that highway. Right? You would, why? Why would you do that? You don't know these people. But there's an ought in you, isn't there? I know this. They don't. Ought. Paul talks about it in Romans 1, about sharing the gospel. 
He says, I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. See that word obligation? It's the same word. Same word that go over in First John. Same root of the same word. Okay? And, and, and Paul's like, man, I'm, I'm under obligation. But then notice where obligation goes. Verse 15, I am eager. You see, it's not like, oh, I've got to do this. No, it's, man, there's something in me that I can't not do this because of what I have and what I've been given. Right? And so, so verse 11 leads us to an ought. All right? If, if, if God is in you, if his spirit is in you, if his love is in you, if his nature is in you, you have experienced and clearly received the love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then there ought to be an ought in you. Okay? There, there, there's, there should be a responsiveness in you that you would love other people. You ought to love. If you're not loving others with the love of God, there's something terribly wrong. I mean, just reason that out in your mind logically. If, you, if, if there is no ought, if you don't love people the way Christ loved them, if you don't attempt that, if you don't initiate that, if you don't invest, if you don't try, if you're not convicted when you're, when you're in the wrong in that, what does that mean? Well, let's back up. Well, that means that you've not experienced the gospel. You know, that his seed's not in you, his spirit's not in you, his love is not in you. Why should you love your brother by meeting practical needs in his life? Because God has first met your greatest needs that way, right? Why should you pursue Christ in a relationship with your Christian brothers and sisters? Because God has pursued you in Christ. Why should you forgive those who've hurt you? The Bible says over and over again, because Christ has forgiven you. Why should you give time and energy to building up the faith of others? Because God has loved you that way. Why should you be patient with people when they let you down? Because God has been patient with you. You see, everything that should come out of you has already been put in you. You don't have to make up this stuff. Just, just do what's already in you. And as you do that, God becomes visible to the world. This is exciting. Look, look at verse 12. How, how many of you have ever said, Oh, I just wish, I just wish my family could see a miracle. I've, I've had people tell me, I wish that, you know, in the Bible, you know, Jesus raised people from the dead. And, they, and you know, maybe they could just, if they just saw that, then they would, they would come. My hard-hearted uncle, he would come. He would, you know, well, let me, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, your family can see God through you. Verse 12. No one's ever seen God. Okay, God is spirit. But, look what he says. If we love one another, if we do that, God abides Remember, we know what that word means, right? Had it a hundred times. Dwells, lives, resides in us. And his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God's living in us. His love's living in us. People will see the character and the nature of God in us. Man, what a powerful image. That when you are visibly loving people, not, people are going to see God, not, not by your acts of power or force or intelligence. What, what, one of the biggest mistakes we think often is that, that the best way to show God to the world is to convince them, right? How many of you have that, that gift of arguing, you know? That brute force pushing truth down people's throats, right? Some of you are incredible at that. And you win, you win every time, you know? I mean, you're, you're so good. Your arguments are so solid. And you, and you actually have the truth on your side. That helps you a lot, okay? And, and so, so you sit people down, right? And you just 
batter and buffet them with the truths. And, and you show the illogicalness of their beliefs and the logicalness of your beliefs. And every time they become a Christian. No. No. In fact, I would say in those situations, seldom, actually. I'm not diminishing truth at all, at all, not at all, not at all. I'll get to that in a second. Okay, but, but here's what I'm saying. People see, they see God when you love. You see, the, the root of sin is that people don't want God. They don't see him. They don't know him. That, that's what 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it's a verse we look at a bunch here in Lincoln Avenue. It says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the, the, the glory of Christ. Okay, but, but here's what John is saying. But they can see the glory of Christ. They can see God's love when, when you show them by loving others with Christ-like love. Now again, am I, am I diminishing the power of the spoken word? Well, that'd be awful stupid of me as a preacher, okay? Because this is what I do, all right? Uh, obviously, I believe in this. I believe in you speaking truth. I believe in you, you know, confronting the falsehoods and the lies of the world with truth. I believe in that, okay? I believe in that. But, but what I don't believe in is doing that without loving people as well. I, I think people don't, don't see, they don't see the glory of Christ unless they see our love. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 13? Remember this? A new commandment, this is John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. There is incredible power here. All people are going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, power. In in seeing God's character through you. All right, verse 16, go there. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in him, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Okay, now here's, let me tell you where I think things break down, okay? Why why are we not as successful as we ought to be in in loving people, in forgiving people, in being gracious with people, in... um, uh, pursuing friendships. Why, why aren't we as successful as we ought to be, okay? I think it's right here in verse 16, okay? There's, there's two things he says here. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see, that's the foundation. That is the engine which all of this rests on is us knowing and believing the love of God. And he, here's what I would tell you. Whenever you see a Christian who is not loving well, they struggle with this. They're, they're hitting the wall. You know what I think is the case? I think the case is they don't know or believe the love of God for them very well. Now, now here's what I believe about this deal. I think it's in degrees, okay? Uh, so in other words, I don't think it's all or nothing. I think, I think at times you can know the love of God. You can embrace the gospel. You can be saved, okay? But you, but you need to know a lot more of it. Okay? And the more of it you know, the, the more you will love. The more of it you believe, the more you will love. Why, why do I believe that? Because Paul, I, I need to prove that to you, don't you? Don't I? Okay, I will. Um, Paul prays for the believers in Ephesians 3, uh, verse 18. I don't think this is on the screen, sorry. Uh, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul prays for the church. Man, I want you to know the height, the depth, the length, the breadth. I want, I want you to know the love of Christ, but it surpasses knowledge. In other words, you can't ever get to the end of it. You'll, you'll be on this journey forever. 
but I want you to know it, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, do you see what Paul's praying? Okay, you're, Ephesians, you're Christians, you're Christians. You, you've got the gospel. You know God loves you, but you're here. And so I'm telling you all these awesome things that God has done for you. I want you to see the beauty of the gospel because I want you to be here. And then I want you to be here. And then I want you to be here. And I want you to be here and here and here and here. Right? Okay, and so, so I, I believe part, part of the struggle that we have with loving people is, is knowing and believing the love God has for us. Knowing it, knowing the riches of the, the gospel in Christ. Let me tell you, the, the gospel is sweeter to me today than it was in 1990 when it first clicked, okay? The riches of Christ are better to me today than they were in 1990. Now, I was saved in 1990, for real. It happened, okay? I, I came to be joined to Jesus, his spirit in me, his love in me, his nature in me, okay? I understood the gospel, but I understand so much more. And here's the exciting thing. If God lets me live another 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever, I, I, I pray that that would continue, that I would know and believe the reality, the greatness, the, the, the incredibleness that, that Paul's prayer would be lived out in me, that I would know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God for me, and that I would believe that. And as I do that, the, the ought that will come with that is that I'll love my family better and I'll love others better. The love of God, it should govern how you see the world. To know and believe God's love for you should govern how you see your struggles and your pain and your difficulties. It should govern how you interpret your victories and successes. It should govern the, the view of the future you have, what you anticipate coming for you. It should govern your security and your sense of peace and well-being and optimism. Knowing that love. I'll just tell you this. Here's an illustration. There's a difference in hearing that a woman named Emma loves me. There's a difference between that and experiencing Emma's sacrifice for me and serve me and choose me and delight in me and pursue me. That kind of love shapes you. And it could be today that you're here and you know a fact about God that God loves the world, but listen, it's very well, it's very possible that you don't know that, you don't believe that God really loves you. Man, as, as I sit down with people, I find that. I find that they claim to be a Christian, they claim to believe the gospel, they're trying to live out, but they don't, they don't really believe that God loves them. They don't, they don't, they don't know it. And, and a lot of times it shows. It shows glaringly in their anger and their doubt and their questioning. When they hit trials, right? Because if you don't know that God loves you, it's all fine and good when everything's good here, right? But, but, but as soon as you hit a trial, then all of a sudden you're like, Psh, I'm out. How many people, you know, hit a trial and they're out? Why? Because they don't know and believe the love of God for them. Now, if you know and believe the love of God for you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this book, Heavenly Man. It's about, it's about the Chinese Christians in the 80s, 90s horrific persecution. This guy named Yoon, he's in his third trip in prison and uh, they have tortured him beyond belief. At one point, he did not eat or drink for 74 days. Every day, they're coming in, sticking an electric wand in his mouth and electrocuting him. Holding his face down in the sewer. This third trip in prison, they have so beaten, broken his legs that they're just mangled, crippled up. 
Every day they come in with bats and just beat him. How's Brother Yoon surviving? I mean, he says it in the book all the time. He says, I, I just focus on the love of Christ for me and the hope of glory and knowing my father has a plan. And he would say, he said, I would cry out, Father, why? Why? But he said, then I would be reassured that my God has a plan, that he's doing good, the glory is coming. This is for him. Like, that guy knows God loves him. I think it shows in people's confused identity, lack of hope, guilt and shame over the past. I mean, it, isn't the problem there? You don't know and believe the love of God? And, and I think it shows in a lack of loving others. The engine, okay, the engine for our Christian life is that God has loved us first. You have trouble forgiving? I know that there's personality issues there. We're all wired a little differently. Some of you have a higher sense of justice than others, and that, that, that brings about trouble forgiving. Some people have more of kind of an, an insecurity that brings trouble forgiving. I understand all that, but, but here's, here's the heart of the matter. Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Isn't that the bang? You have trouble investing in others? And do you know what God has invested in you? Do you have trouble giving grace? Do you know the grace that God's given to you? You see, the real thing that, that, that John is wanting to avoid here is, is the Christian who, who says he has an invisible love. Okay? I mean, that, that's the really scary thing that John is, is coming back to. Look at verse 19 and 20. We love, why? Same reason. The verse 19, because he loved us first, right? He's put it in us already. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Okay, what's John, what's John, what's John afraid of? He's afraid of this, this Christianity that, that has an invisible love, right? It's like, oh yeah, I love God. I love God. It's just invisible, you know? I mean, at some point, that becomes disingenuous. You know, if, if, if I'm always talking about how I dunk a basketball, I can dunk it. You know, I'm five, five, eight, and I can dunk a basketball. But every time we go to the basketball court, I'm never feeling it, you know? It's not, not today. Not today. I can do it, but not today. I tell you, I, I can play guitar like Jimi Hendrix, you know, but... Nah, I don't want to play in front of everybody. I don't. Nah. At some point, what do you ask yourself? He can't really do that, can he? What if? What if your your love for God's invisible? By the way, you know, I used to think whenever I read this verse, if anyone says I love God, he hates hates his brother, he's a liar. I used to think that. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know what I used to think about that? I used to, I used to think that what, what John was saying there, and, and this is probably somewhat true, is that it's harder to love somebody you, you can't see. No, no, no. That'd be the way around. What did I think about this? Okay, so, uh, so it's, 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 he's saying, okay, if you can't love somebody you can't see. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's... it's it's, hard, it's harder to love somebody that you can see than that you can't see. I, I don't know what I used to think. Never mind. Maybe that's why I don't think it anymore. 
What I think this is saying, I was trying to be helpful. That wasn't helpful. Uh, I thought maybe you thought what I thought. Okay, I, I think what he's saying here is, how are you going to show love? How are you going to show love to God if not by loving his people? Right? Because God is invisible. Okay, so how are you going to love him? I, let me give you some options here that I think are, are not good options. When you sing, you really look like you're into it. I mean, for real, I think that's, that's a lot of people, it's stuff like that. It's like, oh man, when Michelle, she sang that song, I had a tear. I, it was coming out right there. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see it? I had a tear. I really love God. Or, you know, man, I, I was really swaying, you know. That's, uh, stop. Okay, there's nothing wrong with crying. I mean, really, sometimes I'm moved to tears over things that, that people present. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Here's what I'm saying. Is that the standard of love? Is that how we love God? He's got to get to, get to heaven and say, man, you had tears a bunch. Good job, man. I really, I really felt it from you. No. How do we love God? By loving the people right in front of us. His people. That's how we love him. That's the primary way that we show love is by the visible people right in front of us. And so John's saying, if you don't do that, opportunity's right in front of you. Walk right out with all these people. You don't love them. You're not loving God. How, how are you loving God who's in heaven? What need are you meeting of his? He doesn't have any. And isn't this consistent with the rest of the New Testament? Matthew 25, Judgment Day, Sheep and Goats. What's God say to the believers? Hey, come on in. Why? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was uh, in prison, you visited me. And they're like, when? When did we do that? As you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And those who go the other way, what's he say? I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was, you did not come back. What's he saying? You didn't practically, you didn't love me. And what's the evidence of that? You didn't love my people. God, that's strong stuff. That's strong stuff. Our opportunity to love is to love his people, to love his children. That's not so hard for us to understand, is it? How are you going to love Troy and Nancy? Man, love Wyatt and Logan, Cammy. I'm telling you, if you treat Troy kind of cold, but you really, you really go out of your way to love Logan, Troy's going to like you. He's going to feel loved, right? That's just reality. We know that. We know that. But I tell you what, you, you are nice as can be to somebody, but you cut down their kids. Do they feel the love? if we're that way, I mean, why is that so hard to understand with God? We're his children. You're his children. So the evidence of your life that you love God is by loving your brothers. All right, so, guys, we got to do something, okay? I've been on this Charles Spurgeon quote lately, and basically he says, do something three times and screams it. Do something, do something, you know? And... And so I want to leave you with, don't leave here saying, oh man, I got a good feeling about that in my heart. Okay, no, it's not the way you love God. The way you love God is by doing something. If you want to love God, then look around you, all right? Determine to build up the faith of the people around you right now. Serve them, meet a need, know them, be interested in them, know their name, know their life, ask questions, welcome people, encourage people. 
Build them up with the word of truth. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your family. Invite them into your home. Invite them to, to, to join you in serving Christ. Look around our community. How would you practically show the love? How are you going to show Woodward who God is? By meeting needs. Invite people to supper with the intention of encouraging them toward faith. Take supper. A family in our church did this the other day. I thought it was brilliant. Call the homeless shelter. Hey, how many you got tonight? We got eight here. Hey, we got supper. We got supper for you tonight. We'll be at what time you want it? Six? All right, our whole family's coming over. Take it over there. Meet the people. Sit down with them. Scoop food on their plates. You're loving God. Pray diligently for people. Know the people on your block, in your workplace. Pay attention how you might meet a need. Relieve suffering. Encourage the faint-hearted. Do something. Do something. Something. 